Thanks for listening to the Media People Podcast, lively and insightful chats with the people who power the media industry. I'm your host, Victor Genova. For more episodes, you can go to soundcloud.com slash media people podcast, or you can subscribe on your favorite podcast service like Apple Podcasts or CastBox. Views expressed by participants are personal. The Media People Podcast turns the big three zero. And for our 30th episode, we get a look into the life and career of educator and entrepreneur, Emily Bailey. The founder of Compass Content Marketing, Emily's story starts in the small town of Grand Bend, Ontario, but continues through cities like Kitchener-Waterloo, Toronto, along with a brief stint in Dublin, Ireland. Social justice has played a major part of Emily's career. She's held positions at the Irish Human Rights Commission and Legal Aid Ontario. Along the way, she's managed to fuse her passion for travel with communications, heading up content marketing for luxury travel group Kensington Tours. Not only is Emily her own boss, but she is also putting her experience to work in the classroom, educating future marketers at McMaster University and Humber College. Compass Content Marketing is a business that I founded to help entrepreneurs succeed with their social media and content marketing. It's a really fun, uh, it's a really fun the type of work that we do. We uh, we get to work with brands of all different sizes, and we really help develop custom solutions for uh, brands of all different sizes. Some of our clients are smaller businesses, some are medium sized businesses. We work with their uh, their Facebook accounts, their Instagram, their Twitter, sometimes their LinkedIn, uh, their blogs sometimes as well to help them get more traction online, to help them get noticed. There's never a sort of one-size-fits-all solution when it comes to social media marketing. So we really work with our clients quite closely to figure out what's going to work for their specific goals, for their specific audience, and given their specific budget. So I'm the founder and chief content creator at the business. I love what I do. I get to work with people from all walks of life. We do social media training, we do strategy development, and we also really do the actual posting and monitoring the community management across the major social media platforms. Let's go back to the beginning. Where are you from? I grew up in a small town in southwestern Ontario called Grand Bend. Some people in Toronto, where I live, uh, know Grand Bend quite well. And some people kind of go like, Grand Bend, where is that? They have no idea. That's cottage country for uh, London, Ontario. Exactly. It's a small town. It's on Lake Huron. It's very busy in the summer because there's a beach and there's a lot of seasonal bars. And, um, you know, it's it has a bit of a reputation as a bit of a summer party place. It's quite small in the winter. Uh, it's a great place to visit. My folks are still there, so I go back for holidays. But it's definitely a small town and, and sort of everything that goes along with that. So it doubles in size in the summer, practically, because of all the cottagers flooding in. Exactly. People from London, Kitchener, Sarnia, some people from Toronto, but uh, not as many people from Toronto have sort of discovered that area. I I shouldn't be talking too much about it or we'll get sort of an influx of people going down there, but uh, it's a really great place to be in the summertime. So did you spend your entire life there? I did up until I was 18 and I went off to university. I lived in in Grand Bend. I lived this sort of small town, quaint uh, sort of lifestyle. But uh, the community aspect is quite strong and I still love going back at holidays and things like that. Is it like the small town stereotype? Everyone knows your name? Just about, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 
what were your interests or hobbies growing up in Grand Bend? You know, I spent a lot of time outdoors growing up. So we had long winters. We were down in the snow belt. So, you know, we were sort of outside and encouraged to be outside a lot, which is, I think, really great. So, you know, we had a big backyard. We were swimming in the summertime. We were going to the beach a lot, read books, hang out with friends and all that good stuff. Did you have any influences growing up? Anyone you looked up to? Do you know what? I didn't have really anyone in my life growing up who was sort of on the path that I'm on now. I think when I was younger, because of my world was so small, I didn't really see anyone around me who was kind of doing what I thought I wanted to do. So the path that I saw around me was to go to college and university and then get a, a sort of nine to five job that paid okay, um, get married, have, buy a house and have kids and you know, live that life. And there's certainly nothing wrong with that path. But I think what I realized um, in my 20s was that I was looking for something a little bit different. I wanted to move to Toronto. I wanted to travel. I wanted to see the world. And it, it took me a little longer, I think, to figure out exactly where I wanted to go with my career and also just with my lifestyle. Tell us what your first job ever was. I've had jobs since I was literally like probably old enough to walk. Uh, my dad owned a, a small picture framing business, art and frame business in our town. When I was a kid, I was expected to work in that business. So I was like cleaning. I was doing little uh, jobs now and again in his store. I was helping customers, even though I was like a little kid. I did a lot of babysitting around town. This is far before, you know, I was old enough to actually work uh, and be paid for, a, you know, a proper job. I babysat a lot of different families in my neighborhood. I also babysat my younger siblings. So those are probably my like my first jobs that were not even like real. Like there was nothing on the books. It was sort of just like working for cash and spending money and allowance and things like that. So you were just hu hustling off the books then? Yeah, basically. Yeah, <laughs> not not exactly by choice either. It was like, okay, this is what you're doing. And I said, uh, okay. <laughs> you mentioned going off to university. Grand Bend doesn't have a university. So you knew that if you were going to go off and pursue higher education, you had to get out of Dodge. So what brought you to Wilfrid Laurier University in Kitchener-Waterloo? And what did you study there? I studied communications and English. I did a double major there. And the reason I chose Wilfrid Laurier University was because it had a small but friendly campus. Uh, I liked the location. It was not too far away from home, but far enough that I could, you know, sort of go away to school and have that sort of residence experience in first year. It had a strong communications program, and I knew from high school, that's really where I wanted to go with my education. And it's a more sort of arts and business oriented university, which is always sort of more aligned with my interests. I did a double degree in communication studies in English, and I did the optional co-op program where I worked for two terms, uh, two four-month terms at Ontario Power Generation. Uh, I worked at their head office here in Toronto in their communications department. So that was kind of a a good way for me to pair the sort of academic focus of my university program with something a little bit more practical, a little bit more hands-on. So we could say that your role at the Ontario Power Generations Communications Department, that was probably your first media or communications gig, correct? Yes, that's right. Grew up and you spent 18 years in a small town like Grand Bend. When you moved to Kitchener-Waterloo, bit of culture shock at the size of the city? And if so, was there any culture shock when you moved to Toronto for co-op? <laughs> 
There was definitely culture shock when I moved to Toronto. Waterloo, I think, was a good sort of stepping stone for me. It's kind of funny looking back. I, at this stage of my life, I've traveled all around the world. Like I've gone into remote parts of like Peru and Morocco and all these places. But this conversation is really cool because it's bringing me back to a time in my life where I really didn't know that much about the world around me. I, I grew up in this very small town and, and that was great. But, you know, going from a town with say a thousand people to, you know, downtown Toronto was definitely a shock to my system. So it definitely took me a while to sort of feel comfortable in the city. And, you know, it was so funny when I first moved up for my co-op placement, I had a place downtown. I was sharing with some other students and I remember I kept getting people coming up to me. People kept coming up to me. Like some of them were like homeless people. Some of them were just like random passersby. And I said to my friend who grew up in Toronto, I said, I don't understand why everyone keeps coming up to me. Like, why are they always talking to me? They're always asking me for things. And she was saying, well, are you making eye contact with them when you're walking down the street? I said, well, of course I am. Where am I going to look? <laughs> and she said, that's why they keep coming up to you. She said, people who are like born and bred in Toronto, we don't make eye contact with strangers. And that was like a wow moment for me. I thought like, wow, I'm really bringing my sort of small town nature to the big city and not even realizing. Suffice it to say, I, I, I'm much more sort of comfortable here. And, you know, I like to think I still have that sort of small town friendliness. But, you know, living in the city does come with a, a bit of a different culture. Take us through, though, what it was like being a co-op student in that first role at the Ontario Power Generation. What do they have you doing at that level? Because really, when you go into co-op, it's not necessarily about completing a specific task. It's more about you gaining experience. You're absolutely right. So I worked with the communications department. I did some internal communications. We were sort of revamping the entire website at that stage. So I helped a lot with that. I did a lot of writing for their media materials. I did a lot of writing for their internal newsletter. Ontario Power Generation has, you know, plants and sites all across the uh, the province. So a lot of this content was going out to the staff who were working in, in all these various communities across the province. I also helped with a lot of events. So in the summer, uh, Ontario Power Generation has a lot of events for their employees, for the employees' families, for the media, for announcements and things like that. Uh, the, the organization has changed since I was there, but I got a, a lot of really great experience um, helping with all of these different sort of campaigns. So, you know, they were really good to me. I was the only student in that department at the time. So I was really stuck in with all the seasoned communication professionals. They had mostly been there for, you know, 20 years sort of thing. And I was sort of very green at that stage, but they were a fantastic employer for me. And, and there were a lot of other students in the organization in other departments. So they had, you know, engineering students, they had, you know, students studying, you know, health and safety and things like this. So there was some programs put in place for the interns as well. So we got to visit some of the sites. We did a Canada's Wonderland Day. It was a lot of fun. Take us through your first role after graduating university and tell us how you landed that job. My first job after university was at the Ministry of Health and Long-Term Care in the communications branch at Queen's Park. Um, I got that job through a recruiter 
And uh, at that stage, I had kind of just been looking for any sort of nine to five communications related role just to get my feet wet. Um, and I was excited by this one because I wanted to be involved in, in some of the government and political stuff happening out there. I did a lot of administrative work, which wasn't sort of my dream job, but I also got to do a lot of writing, media releases, internal communications, public affairs. I attended a number of ministers events. I wrote a speech for the minister, who at that time was George Smitherman. And I did a lot of newsletters and things like that as well. Earlier in our chat, you alluded to traveling and going abroad, and that's exactly what you did. Your next move was to move to Europe. Where did you go? I moved to Dublin, Ireland. Any particular reason why you picked Dublin, Ireland? Does it have anything to do with your last name? My last name is Bailey. I am a Celt, uh, Celtic background. Um, My grandparents grandparents came actually from Scotland. Um, but I've always felt a sort of affinity for the, for the sort of Celtic culture. I went to Dublin. Uh, the reason I chose Ireland was because at that time, this was back in, I think, 2006, uh, 2007, the country was really booming. It was going through a, a, a sort of high growth phase called the Celtic tiger. And there were so many jobs there. It was such a, a prosperous, time in a country that had, you know, a history of struggle. And the language for me made it a lot more accessible to be able to go and just sort of find work once I arrived. So, you know, it was sort of down to Scotland, England, or Ireland. And I think the reason I chose Ireland in the end was because it was a bit smaller, again, a bit more friendly. And I knew that finding work there would not be an issue at all. And I was right. I had an interview with a recruiter on a Thursday and I had a job lined up for the following Monday. And you did a lot of traveling when you, while you were there, I assume, right? Absolutely. So that was really a part of the reason why I wanted to go to uh, to Ireland in the first place, because as you know, once you're over in Europe, it's so much easier to travel around. And, you know, there's so much to see and do that, you know, just a, a single trip wouldn't have done the uh, the place justice. So In Ireland, like the rest of Europe, there are a lot of uh, long weekends. They call them bank holiday weekends over there. There's a lot of uh, just holidays in general going around in comparison with uh, with Canada. So I really took advantage of that. and, And I went to a lot of places around the island of Ireland. I went to, uh, obviously, the UK. Um, and I went to, you know, a number of countries throughout Western and Eastern Europe. Cheap flights with Ryanair? Yes. Oh, my God. Ryanair was my favorite thing. We would literally, myself and some friends, we would literally um, go online and, you know, decide where we were going to go next weekend. So the flights were so cheap, you could really just sort of take your pick as to where you wanted to go. In some cases, we were getting flights for one cent and we were only paying the tax. It was amazing. My experience flying with them was it'd be like when I flew out of them with the UK, it'd be like one to two pounds to fly out. But oh, you have a bag you want to check? Well, that's another 50 pounds. So the key there for me at that stage was traveling light. And I definitely uh, mastered the art of living out of a backpack. In my mid-20s, I was cool with that. Um, Now that I'm in my mid 30s. I don't know if I would, you know, I'd probably spring for, uh, you know, maybe a a bit more luxury. But at that time, it was just a really fantastic way of getting off the island of Ireland and, and around to some really incredible 
places throughout Europe. What did you learn about yourself while you were living in Ireland? I was tested many times in terms of my own just sort of personal strength. When you grow up in a small town, things can be very mundane. They can be comfortable. Um, and that's not a bad thing. But what I really sort of forced myself to do was really go outside of that comfort zone and, and be okay with feeling uncomfortable at times. So for example, when you move to a place that's foreign, it's much different than going on a holiday there. You have to figure out things like taxes, you have to figure out the transit system, you have to figure out, you know, how to find a place to live, things that you don't often consider. And that could be frustrating for someone who has no real reference point. I had a bit of support through the program that I went to Ireland with. It's called SWAP. But for the most part, you know, myself and the other Canadians that went, we were kind of on our own. So, you know, just in terms of, you know, navigating and, and figuring out how to get a job, how to get an apartment, how to do all these things in short order. And sometimes it was difficult. I won't lie. It was, you know, there was a few times where I thought like, you know, did I make a mistake coming here? But in the end, you know, the more you sort of test yourself, the more you grow. And Ireland was the first country I'd really been to um, outside North America. Now I've been to, you know, 25 plus countries around the world. And I feel quite at home when I've been in, in some of these really random uh, exotic places. So I think I'm just more comfortable in my own skin, more confident in what I'm doing and, and more able, I think, to just sort of fly by the seat of my pants while still enjoying myself. So what brought you back to Canada? My work visa lasted one year and that was, you know, my year was up and it was quite difficult for Canadians at that stage to stay on in Ireland um, without an Irish parent. So, you know, I, I, I never saw myself leaving Canada forever. I wanted to have that sort of adventure, but I knew that because my family and my friends were in Canada, um, and Canada is such a fantastic place to live and work, that this was where I would come back to. But that's not to say that in the future I might not go abroad again if the right opportunity came along. I think that life is long and, and there are many adventures out there that you can't necessarily predict ahead of time. So when you came back, what made you pick Toronto and talk about the role you assumed at the University of Toronto? I chose Toronto because it seemed like the most logical fit for my career at that stage. Uh, working in media and marketing and communications, uh, Toronto really is the sort of hub for that type of work in Ontario, at least. So coming back here seemed like a, a good opportunity to sort of get stuck in to my career and, and really start building something. And also, like I said, this was sort of where a lot of my connections were, were living as well. So friends and family have always been important to me. I found a job at the University of Toronto, and that was a really nice fit for me because I like to be in a culture where I'm involved with media and marketing and communications, but I'm in an atmosphere that promotes higher education and promotes continuous learning. Now, you know, just as well as I do, that things in the media and marketing world are constantly changing. So having an employer that's supportive of me sort of upskilling and, and building up my professional development credentials while I'm in a role was really important to me. And I knew that working at U of T would help with that. 
I worked on the annual report. I worked on the website. I worked on, you know, press releases and things like this. I also took advantage of the free courses that were made available through the University of Toronto. You re-enrolled in a program. It was a certificate in strategic marketing. Talk a little bit about that. What did you learn in that that you otherwise didn't touch on in your time at Laurier? My university education at Laurier was fantastic, but it was really not very hands-on. So the courses that I was taking were like media theory and psychology and, you know, these economics and things like that. Fantastic education. Uh, I'm all for a liberal arts degree, but it didn't quite give me that hands-on knowledge or skills development that employers really value. So for example, I never did a media kit. I never put together a media kit in my program at Laurier, but I was able to do that in my strategic communications courses. So those courses were night classes. They were designed for working professionals. And I learned things like, you know, how to put together a strategic marketing plan, in a business setting, you know, things like this that were just really super valuable um, in sort of honing my craft. From there, you moved to Legal Aid Ontario. This was an interesting move. Talk a bit about that. Yeah. So I moved to Legal Aid Ontario because, again, I was looking for the next step. Now, it's funny looking back and talking about this with you, Victor, because now that I look back, what I can see in this sort of pattern of me moving from job to job is that I really was looking for something. I thought that there was more out there for me, and I thought that I just wasn't in the right setting. So after two years of being at University of Toronto, I felt like I wanted to move on. Uh, I got a job as a communications officer at Legal Aid Ontario. I had a passion for social justice. I still do. And I felt like I could put this to work in this particular role. So So that was the reason that I accepted that job. Also, the responsibilities were a little bit more advanced. The pay was a bit better. You know, I wanted to kind of progress in my career as well. So that was sort of why I chose to accept that job. Talk a bit about some of the stuff that you did uh, while you were at Legal Aid Ontario. So Legal Aid Ontario has a network of really amazing lawyers, paralegals, and other folks working in clinics and working in centers across Ontario. They're helping disadvantaged people with matters like domestic violence, uh, defending themselves against criminal charges, and so on. And and these stories and these people often go underappreciated. They often go unnoticed. I wanted to sort of help people to understand that this work is really important. It's really valuable from a humanitarian standpoint, and also because these people are helping these people who may not otherwise be able to afford any sort of legal help or counseling. So I wanted to help tell those stories. I wanted to be around those people um, and put a human face on work that can sometimes be a little bit dry. Legal work can be a little bit uh, unrelatable, I think, to some people. So I liked to, uh, you know, speak with the media, also to create stories through social media tools. And I established Canada's first social justice and legal aid law, which I believe is still continuing today. Um, And again, we use that platform to tell people about all the amazing work that, um, that legal aid workers are doing across the province. Well, there's a lot of stories to be told in social justice, especially when you compare it to other facets of law. Absolutely. Yeah. And and a lot of these people who they're helping, they really wouldn't have anywhere else to go. 
We already know that you were passionate about travel. Is that what brought you to Kensington Tours? While I was at Legal Aid Ontario, I had started doing some freelance work you know, sort of still in my nine to five job, I was doing a lot of traveling. I went to uh, Peru. I I hiked the Inca Trail for four days to Machu Picchu. Um, I'd been to uh, Havana and Cuba. I'd been to, you know, some other places. And um, it really made me feel excited. It sort of lit me up. And so I wanted to follow that. I was blogging in my spare time while I still worked at Legal Aid Ontario. Some blogs I was paid for, some of them I was not paid for. I just did them for the, you know, the experience. And I realized that I enjoyed that a lot more than I enjoyed my nine to five job. So um, if there's anything that I try to live by is to sort of follow your passion and and to do things that make you excited to get out of bed in the morning. Uh, Kensington Tours is a luxury travel company that specializes in private guided travel. It's an American company, but they have offices in Toronto. They sell trips to places like South Africa, Italy, Peru, uh, Southeast Asia, big trips, expensive trips, um, private guided trips. So I headed up their content marketing program for a while, doing their website, getting their blog up and running, managing their Facebook, their Twitter, their Instagram, and so on, and coming up with new ways of showcasing destinations that have been covered quite vigorously in the past. So, you know, how do you make Italy interesting when everybody knows what you can do in Italy? It was it was partly working with the product team to figure out a new angle on destinations and and making that information seem enticing to prospective travelers. What made you want to go out on your own and start Compass Marketing? Like, Take us back to that moment when you were still working at Kensington Tours and you kind of had that light bulb moment and that bit of motivation to go, you know what, I can get something going on my own. For me, it was a process. It wasn't an overnight thing. I think I had always sort of dreamed about running my own business, and I had always wondered what that might be like. Again, it was sort of that curiosity that was sort of in the back of my mind. And I I sort of always thought that I didn't quite have enough experience to run my own business at this stage of my career. I thought that I I needed more credentials. I thought that, you know, I I just sort of wasn't there yet. And I remember having a conversation with someone that said, well, like, what else do you need? Uh, And it kind of got me thinking, you know, there's a lot of other people who are doing this and they're doing it well, and they're my age. They don't have, you know, 10 more, 20 more years of experience on me. So I decided to give it a try. And I told myself that, you know, I'll do it for six months to a year and I'll see how that goes. Luckily with the type of business that I do, there wasn't a lot of startup costs. So, you know, I could afford to just say, okay, I'm going to try this for six months or a year. I'll see if it works. If it does great, I'll keep going. And if it doesn't work, then, you know, I'll go and find myself a sort of nine to five. So I guess I had a little bit of sort of uh, security if there is such a thing, at least in my mind. It didn't feel so risky because I had already been freelancing. I already had sort of built up some connections and I already had at least one solid client when I started. People ask me a lot about starting their own business. I think a lot of people want to do it. And I always say for me, it was really important to have at least one client ready to go when I started. 
it. Um, so I wasn't sort of sitting there kind of looking around going like, okay, like is something going to happen here? I, I already had that to use as a platform and then I could build it up from there. So that was three or four years ago. And I have to say now I'm busier than ever. Things are fantastic. And I'm so glad I took that leap. You keep using the term nine to five, but let's be honest between you, me, and anyone who's listening, there is no such thing as nine to five. That's just a term. That's true. That's true. (laughs) Why the name Compass Marketing? Does that go back to your passion for travel? I decided to name the business Compass Content Marketing because partly because of my passion for travel and tourism, but also because I felt the name Compass sort of alluded to the guidance that we give our clients. A lot of them come to us and they say, you know, I know I need to really be out there more. I I know I need to make better use of social media for my business or my brand, but I just don't really feel comfortable or I just don't have the time. And we really help to kind of guide them and find a solution that they're comfortable with. So it's a bit of a, a bit of a double meaning with, with the word compass. Looking back at your work, is there a particular campaign that you're proud of? I was lucky enough to work on the MasterCard Priceless Cities campaign. I got to write content on various restaurants, arts and cultural events, businesses, and so on in the city of Toronto. So that was a really exciting opportunity to showcase some of the amazing things that Toronto has going for it and sort of convey that on a website that has global reach. That was a really fun project to work on. I did that a couple of years ago. A project that I'm really excited about right now is a bit of a different twist. I'm working with the Canadian Marketing Association to help develop their first ever chartered marketing program. Uh, It's super exciting. It's a professional designation that is launching in January. And myself and a team of other marketing professionals are helping to create the program. We're building it from scratch to be delivered 100% online to marketing professionals from all across Canada. They'll be uh, learning about things like brand strategy, social media marketing, um, even things like business and financial math. It's a really broad program with some specializations as well. And it's a really fun, uh, a really exciting project for me to work on right now. So about a year or two from now, we're going to start to see people, because of the program you helped build, pop up on LinkedIn with CM or Chartered Marketer on the end of their names. Exactly. So I was lucky enough to just pass my Chartered Marketer exam. So I'm going to be updating my uh, my LinkedIn uh, profile to say uh, Emily Bailey CM. We will see a lot more people finishing the program and adding that credential to their name. So, you know, there's a strict application process and there's a number of years of experience required in order to uh, gain admittance and, of course, a series of exams to pass. So it really sets the bar high for the Canadian marketing community, and it's got a strong focus on digital. Uh, So I think it'll be a really great addition to the sort of professional development realm in the marketing industry here in Canada. But you're not just dropping knowledge with the CMA. You're also an instructor at Humber College and McMaster University. Talk to us about uh, what programs you're teaching there and who you're teaching them to. 
So I teach part-time at both schools at the moment. It definitely keeps me busy, but I love it. I teach uh, undergraduate students in the Bachelor of Digital Communications program at Humber College. And my students are typically in their early 20s. They are interested in pursuing uh, marketing. Some of them are, are really talented content creators. Some of them are interested in, in branding and, and strategy. Some of them are interested in videography. We've got a, a a really great mix of students. Um, I'm industry liaison at that program. That's my sort of job title at, at Humber College. So I also work with employers who are looking to place a student with their organization. So that's a really fun sort of role uh, for me. And I also teach at McMaster University. I just won uh, an Instructor of the Year award at McMaster. Congratulations. Really nice. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, I teach in the Digital Marketing Certificate Program at McMaster and that again, is, is delivered 100% online as well. So it's available to people, you know, who are based in Ontario, but I also have students who are based in, you know, British Columbia, Alberta, New Brunswick. It's a really convenient way for marketing professionals who are in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s even to make sure that their skills are current and also to uh, improve their skills and their capacity in, in a digital marketing, quickly changing digital marketing uh, industry. Speaking of quickly changing, do the courses or the content change much from year to year? Because I have to imagine that some of the stuff you're teaching now wasn't around last year and some of the stuff that you were teaching last year, even the year before, is now obsolete. Absolutely. So every time I teach a class, I'm always updating the content before I even walk into the classroom. So I, if I taught a course before and I have my notes from last term, I always go over them again and I often find that they need updates. So things change really, really quickly. The good thing about what I do is because I'm, I'm an active marketing professional as well as a teacher, uh, it's easier for me, I think, to bridge that gap for the students and make sure that I'm giving them the most current and up-to-date information. But that's kind of what I like about it. I like that it's always changing. I, I like to have interesting discussions with my students about where they think the industry is headed and to talk about innovation. I think innovation is really driving our culture and our society at the moment. It's, it's so fascinating to watch it all unfold, particularly with social media and its effect on people. So um, I find it exciting. I think some people maybe find it a bit um, tiring in some ways, but I always say to people, you know, if you don't like change, this probably isn't the industry for you and that's okay. But definitely the uh, prep time for class is it's always there because I have to deliver the most up-to-date current information. How did you get your start in teaching? A lot of people approach me and they say, Hi, I'm kind of interested in, in teaching marketing. Like, how did you get into it? And I tell them this story. I basically cold emailed a bunch of schools and I said, basically, I want to do what you're doing. I reached out to program coordinators and professors in, in communications and media and marketing programs. And I, I got a lot of, uh, I got a lot of no's or I got a lot of people who didn't reply, but I got one person at Humber College who was kind enough to say, Hey, uh, why don't you come into my class and do a guest lecture? 
So I was, of course, thrilled to have the opportunity. I went in and I did a one-hour guest lecture on the topic of tourism marketing in a Humber PR class. And at the end of the class, the the professor said, "Wow, that was that was really great. Like you're you're quite talented." Uh, and I said, "Thank you very much. Let's keep in touch." Sure enough, maybe eight or nine months after that, there was an opportunity available for a new social media marketing class and they needed a teacher. So because I had already made that connection, they thought of me and I I had an interview and that was my first gig. That was my first course that I taught. I had no prior training teaching at all. I did not go to teacher's college, but I was a subject matter expert and that was enough. So I taught an eight week course and the rest is history. If you could go back in time and give your younger self advice, what would you say? Oh my God, I would say like, chill out. (laughs) Like I was so anxious, so worried um, about which move to make in my career and which move to make in life. And, you know, I would get so hung up on making decisions that I would almost paralyze myself. I see it with some of my students now. They're in that situation where they're not really sure what they're supposed to do. And they, they feel like they have to have everything figured out right now. What I've realized in my own journey is that you can't predict the future. You can create the future, but you have to put one foot in front of the other. So if there's something that you're interested in, don't be afraid to sort of take a leap and explore that um, in a responsible way, of course. Just be open to new experiences. Don't be fearful of change. Sort of embrace that and, um, you know, just try to enjoy your life. Enjoy every day. We don't push trial and error enough among students. I agree. I agree. A lot of students I find are, they're very afraid to fail. And um, I think failure is part of it. You have to stumble a little bit in order to grow as a person and in order to figure out the path that you're really meant to be on. My signature closing question, if you weren't in media, what would you be doing and why? This is a really good question. I can't think of anything I'd rather do more than what I'm doing right now. To be honest, I love my teaching. I love my business. I'm really happy uh, with where I'm at right now. If you ask me in five or 10 years, I could be doing something completely different and that would be perfectly okay with me. Uh, But I have to say that right now I'm really, really happy in what I'm doing. What about the picture frame empire back in Grand Bend? You know what? It's funny you ask that because my dad is just about to retire and sell his business. But poor guy, none of none of his children seem too interested. So I think uh, I think it'll just ride off into the sunset. Emily, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. That's it for today's show. For more episodes, you can go to soundcloud.com slash media people podcast or subscribe on your favorite podcast service like Apple Podcasts or CastBox. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Vic Genova.